Presbyterian School community. This is uh, Mark Carlton again with the People of PS podcast. Uh, and we are in our, I guess, our second episode with uh, faculty, faculty feature, faculty focus. And today we're going to talk to Gordon Center, who is our seventh grade history teacher. Um, those people who have had Gordon know him for a variety of, of reasons. First and foremost, his his face for radio, which is something that he, he likes to show, or maybe face for podcasts, I it's guess. It's a perfect face for podcasts. Perfect face for podcasts. No, uh, Gordon is the, the man with the incredibly loud pants in the seventh grade, uh, but also uh, an incredible penchant for uh, middle school kids and uh, really remarkable relationships, not only at Presbyterian School, but at uh, other schools where he has worked. So we want to get to know Gordon a little bit better in the podcast today. And we'll just kick it off first and foremost with... Give us your five-minute or maybe your three-minute autobiography. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Mark, thank you, and thanks for the warm introduction, and I'll do my best to keep it at three minutes. If my students ever listen, they'll be impressed. (laughs) Um, So I actually was an oil field kid. Uh, My father was from New York. Uh, My mother's from Canada, and uh, they met in college. Uh, My folks moved overseas almost right away, right after college. And my dad had a choice between working for an iron company that was doing some sort of smelting work or for an oil company. And he was like, what the heck? Let's go overseas. And so I was born in Japan, raised in Asia and the Middle East for most of my life. Um, And uh, we kept a house in New York State. And we go back and forth there between assignments. Um, But I was often, and my my students get these stories, I was often the only white student uh, in my school. So my parents were, we were not assigned to big cities. We were, as my father used to say, where the dinosaurs died. And um, that, that generally meant we're going to a local school and I'd learn the local language uh, and take classes in that. So I, one of my real memories is, and I explain to my students when they watch me spell, is I came back to America in, uh, and had to be in remedial English for foreigners um, because I spoke uh, Tagalog, Filipino. And um, that I was more fluent in that and could read and write in that than I was in English. Um, and then uh, uh, Asia, the Middle East, and then went to school in Ohio to Kenyon College, home of the lords and ladies. Um, <laughs> love, love being there. Was the uh, member of the Senate in, in my, my class. Was uh, ran track and cross country um, and was the captain of my team. I tell my students I had the college record in the 1500 meters. Um, for, for the indoor record at Kenyon because we switched our track from English measurements to metric <laughs> measurements, and I held the college record for exactly one season. Um, because, like, was it fast? I went, nope, not at all. We just ran one race, and I was like, I'm going into record books. Uh, so I did that. Whatever and, it takes. Whatever yeah. it takes. And then the only other weird one, I, I think, and interesting one for me is um, because we lived overseas, there weren't American sports. And so I picked up the sport of field hockey, which – is played everywhere, and, and ended up trying to be part of the U.S. Olympic team um, here in America. And so from 14 to 18, I spent my summers at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, and I was training there. And I'll, I, again, share with my students the, the joy and beauty of it. I can remember sitting in a room as they went through the roster of the guys they were cutting and the guys they were keeping, and I realized when they got to Steve Jennings, um, who was my roommate and also a midfielder, that Steve was going to be picked for the national training squad, and I was not. Um, so uh, I ended up going to college uh, because I, my original plan had been I'll go work for UPS and, and continue to train for the upcoming Olympic Games. Um, I will point out to you, those of you listening who have not seen me, 
Uh, you would not guess uh, athlete would, would be on that list. Um, but being a field hockey player who's a man in America is like being on the Iraqi luge team. There's not, there's not a lot of competition. So they needed 15 players on the field. Okay, so Gordon, I think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't – I mean, aside from your stunning good looks, which you've talked at length about. In a this, young Josh Jamel. Right, exactly. Uh, let's talk a little bit just quickly about your pants and sure. where <laughs> not, not necessarily the pants that you're wearing today, but just the penchant for, sure. for the pants. What, what's, where is that coming from? Uh, so um, I, I was teaching middle school, and, and like everyone else, I wore khakis. And uh, one day, there was a laundry day, a young guy, and I thought, okay, what the heck, I'm just going to grab a pair of mattress pants I had. And I wore them to school, and the response from the kids was completely different. And what I quickly realized was that, again, in middle school, when you're feeling stressed out, when you're nervous, if you walk into a room and your teacher looks like someone just threw a box of crayons at, at clothing, um, you're not as worried about your day. And, and so it's been a real... Um, barrier breaker with kids about um, <laughs> what's the deal with the pants. What's great is when I go somewhere with the students, we're walking around somewhere, and other kids from other schools say to them, what's the deal with that teacher? And they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, <laughs> they don't even notice anymore. So it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Uh, so, Gordon, you, know, you, uh, you had a long and storied career in education uh, prior to coming to Presbyterian School. And uh, so I think folks might be interested to hear just what was it about Presbyterian School, and uh, particularly the middle school at Presbyterian School that, that drew you over here um, after being elsewhere for so long? Sure. Uh, well, for about 20 years, I was at another school, and I coached at, a, at another SBC school here in Houston um, prior to that one. Um, I had seen a lot of kids come from Presbyterian over 20 years, and what fascinated me was those children, you know, it's this idea of, uh, I think you mentioned another podcast, uh, do you want to be successful? Do you, you want to be um, uh, uh, good at what you're doing, or do you want to try and be a happy person who tries to take care of others? And I found that consistently students from Presbyterian were more worried about other kids than students I saw coming from even from my own school institution at that point in time or from other schools. They, they put the needs of others first. And in doing so, they built relationships with people um, that I thought were stronger and enabled other kids to be the best versions of themselves. And um, the kids I met were curious about the world, and they were willing to struggle. And, and as a teacher, I, I, you are so excited for kids to come into your classroom and just be willing to struggle and work hard at something. And, and, and know that it may not be perfect, but I'm going to be better tomorrow. And, and so uh, I was aware of that, and then uh, I was aware of Charlie Gramatis and how he was running the middle school. And I, had, I came over to visit, and I walked into a classroom, and I was making a consideration about moving. And I sat down next to a boy and I said, uh, so what's your toughest class? And he said, oh, it's, it's this one, it's English class. It's I, I worked my butt off to get a C or a B. I was like, no kidding, no kidding. And I just waited a minute or two and watched him working and listened to the teacher and I turned around and whispered and said, so what's your favorite class? And he said, oh, English class. And, and to me, that's what sold it. Yeah. I thought, if, if this is a school where a kid's that excited to walk into a class every day, where he's willing to struggle to get a C or a B, and he thinks that is a wonderful day. And, and that's what I experienced with kids here and the faculty here. And so you meet faculty who genuinely are pouring their heart and soul into children. And I, I know you hear that sort of expression, but it's true. Um, uh, teachers always want to help each other out. The administration wants to try and be as innovative as possible and thoughtful about what's going on. Um, so it was an easy switch. 
I think once you've done something for enough years, you know what a championship program looks like. And if you can get onto a championship team somehow, you can get yourself traded. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not such a bad deal. Like, it's, it's fun playing in championships. And, and, and as both an athlete and a coach, um, it, it, I like playing in championships. And at what point did, uh, you know, history start to really resonate with you in, in terms of something that you were passionate about intellectually? Talk, let's talk about that first, and then we'll kind of transition into sure. the, the classroom. Yeah. Well, I think there's passion and there's the intellectual passion. So um, I'm not sure that anyone would describe me as a pure intellectual, um, but I appreciate that. Uh, that's my wife. Um, uh, I have always loved history. I, I, I like the story of people, and, and I think that um, I'm always, for me, meeting people and finding out their story, is, it really is fascinating. And, and it's, it's those intimate details of how did they make the decisions they made. Um, so I think even in, in middle school, I was reading books about history. The weird one was I wasn't always reading books that were written in America. And so it's, it's different to read history written from somewhere else um, and then learn about U.S. history that way. Um, in high school, I had some great teachers. And then in college, I had some amazing professors. Um, my favorite professor, uh, Martin Hardiman, was blind. Um, and he literally had someone who would read the papers to him, but it was fascinating. He had, I guess, the equivalent of a photographic memory, but he could recall the pages that you would ask him a question. He'd say, you need to flip to this page, and you do this, um, and I absolutely loved the man. He was incredible. Um, he taught U.S. history. I tried to take every class I could with him. Um, uh, he was, they talk about brilliance. I, I wonder what he could have accomplished with sight, um, but he lit a fire in me about U.S. history and, and the potential it had. Um, and, and so I, I would say that. So isn't that fascinating? I, I think, so I've been doing this for 30 years, and whenever I have a conversation with somebody about why they're in education, it, it comes back to a teacher. Right. And it comes back to a relationship. It's, it's, never, a, it's never a content conversation. Right. It's a relationship conversation, right? So... So this is what really what you're known for, right? Uh, among the, the people that have your class is is that you put a premium on the relationship with the student, right? So so how do you how do you marry that uh, the importance of that relationship with? I mean, they do need to still learn some history, sure. right? So and and I think you do that well, but but there's a there's a nuance to that. So talk about talk about how you marry the story with the relationship. Well, you know, one of the things I love about middle school is uh, it, it is certainly when you're most awkward. Um, so any middle, no, no, really? Listen, no, any, any, really? any middle schoolers <laughs> listening, don't worry, it does get better. Um, but I, I think because of that, and, and this is what fascinates me about middle school students, right, is that they know there are things they're not good at and they're suddenly becoming aware. There are things they have no idea they're not good at. So they're just putting their hearts out there and, and, and trying and they're willing to be vulnerable um, and willing to be brave at it. And, and what I find is if you want kids to listen to you, if you want kids to think about what's going on, having that relationship of trust, right? I, I can be myself in front of you. We can talk about serious topics. Um, that can happen if you really trust the other person, cares about you, and, and is, is, is willing to listen to what you have to say. I use a lot of humor. I think humor is a great way to lower the temperature as you talk about topics that are challenging. Um, I think the kids in my classroom, there's some teasing that goes on, 
and, and I think, you know, we joke about topics, and they know they can joke with me. Um, so, you know, we'll talk about something happened in 1776, and the kids will say, well, Mr. Center, what was it like when you were there? And I'm like, well, as a 25-year-old, it was a uh, good time, good time. But, but I think um, what's great is, and especially students here at Presbyterian, they really do trust you, and I think we build on that trust, and they trust each other. I'm always amazed that we can talk about a topic that I didn't talk about until I was in college. And we can talk about a middle school, and my middle school students are so insightful and so caring about being gentle with a topic. So, you know, I, I, this might be a little long answer, but I think for every parent, you know what I'm talking about. You know, my kids are, watching my children move through life is my heart being outside of my body and running around. And that's how vulnerable I am when it comes to my kids. And I, and, and I think other parents know what that's like. So when you deal with other people's children, you're very aware of that. What fascinates me is these kids are that thoughtful about their peers, and that lets us do some really amazing work. If, if you think, you know, to use the foxhole analogy, if you think the person next to you is going to stand by your shoulder no matter what comes, you can talk about all sorts of things in class and do all sorts of amazing uh, uh, introspective work that you couldn't do if you thought we're just trying to memorize an answer or something. Yeah. But talk about that you know, talking about history as a relationship and having to, especially in this day and age, right, where we are right. grappling with a lot of the difficulties of, of being an American and some of the missteps that Americans have made in the past, how do you weave that into, uh, you know, your, your class in a way that's, that, that kids can embrace, right. especially when they're not, they're not used to it? Yeah, you know, so I think a couple things. One is uh, I married an amazing woman. And, and my wife, Catherine, is simply incredible. And, and what I talk to the kids about is this idea of history is a love story. And, and, and you are falling in love with America. Um, and it's a relationship. And so what that means is that there are going to be things that are difficult to talk about. And there is no doubt in my mind that my wife and I, the reason our relationship works so well, is I can truly talk to her about anything. And she cares enough about me that she's going to listen, hear me out, and think about what I say. So, you know, we definitely have those family discussions where it's, I'll get back to you on that one. I need to process this. Um, that's, that's a t you know, um, and then we'll get back to it. And so I think with history, um, there are parts of America that are not perfect, but the intent was good. So, you know, in my family, we say, Dad loads the dishwasher the wrong way, but he did load the dishwasher, <laughs> and so he was trying. And, I, and, and so we talked to the students about that one, which is this idea of, what were people hoping to accomplish and what was their goal? Yep, along the way when they're, they're learning to drive the car for the first time, they parked under rose bushes. And ideally they wouldn't have parked on your rose bushes because you love those rose bushes. But it happens. And, and I really try and model for the kids and talk to them about in my adult life, I have lots of friends where we don't agree on every single topic. And that has nothing to do with my friendship about them. That, that, um, it's important to talk and listen to lots of people who have different ideas. Growing up overseas, I think that you learn there are different ways to solve problems. Growing up overseas, you realize people have a lot of the same basic needs, but there's been other things that have happened in their life that make them worry about one thing more than another. Uh, what I tell my students is people in Idaho are never going to vote for hurricane relief because they don't have hurricanes. Um, but we don't worry a lot about snowstorms. In, in Houston, and so it's hard for us to understand why they get so upset about that when winter comes. Um, I think the kids learn quickly that we can talk about difficult topics if we're kind and care about the other person. We talk about looking for cues, we talk about 
thinking about what the other person might be trying to to see. And I, I'm, I'm just going to point this one out. You know, one of the hard ones is, and I explain it to my students, we'll never know exactly what's going on in someone else's mind. But if you go with the assumption that they're trying to do the right thing, both in the historical moment and in the present moment, okay, that helps explain a lot of their actions. And if we assume there was good intent, great. I think one of the hard ones these days is people are quick to say, I want to assume that your intent somehow has a negative motivation. And in my experience of 51 years on the planet, has not shown that to be true. That almost every person I've ever run to had the best intentions. I might not have agreed with their solutions, but they were trying to do what they thought was the right thing. Um, and I think with our kids, it's the same idea. That, that I wouldn't have written the paragraph intro that way. Let me show you how we've done it, but explain to me why you picked that way. Okay, now I understand. Um, and we both learned something. So I, I think that's, I think our kids are willing to do that lifting, and I think they're willing to do that caring. Um, so so we've, we've talked about it in the faculty, we've talked about the three viruses right. that we're battling, right? And, and I mean, so as we, as we are recording this today, we've got this incredibly great news about vaccines on the horizon, right? So I think, you know, this, this virus that we've been battling, and I, I, and I think, you know, when historians like you look back on this year, it's going to be a year that's been really dramatically uncomfortable in, in right. so many ways, but it's a year, right? So, so the, the virus that has occupied our time for that year, it, it's, there's a great possibility it's going to be eradicated very, very soon, right? And uh, you were just telling us a story before we started about your, you know, your buddies in the fire, in the fire department, how, how they're going to disseminate the, right. the vaccine. The other two viruses, much, much less uh, uh, opportunity to see on the horizon where those are going to be solved. And that's the, race, the, the virus of racism. And then what you're talking about is this virus of polarization right. and inability to, you know, come to a, an understanding of another perspective. So I think what I hear you saying is that by creating an atmosphere in classrooms, you know, educating seventh graders about uh, this idea that people's intent is generally good, if we can get to that point, maybe we can eradicate that, that third virus. It, do you think that's possible? I mean, I, I realize that, you know, you've got a small cross-section of 70 kids that right. you interact with, but is, is that the way to, to really confront that third virus? You know, what makes me, and I, it's funny because I talked to my students about it the other day. We are talking about dating. And I said, my, one of my first days here, I'm watching this boy and this girl interacted, snack, and I realized the boy likes the girl and the girl likes the boy, and I turned to another teacher and I said, so what's the story I noticed? Oh, they're dating. And they're of two different races. And, and I explained to my kids, when I was a boy growing up, that was not normal. And I said, you guys just accept that that's true, that if you love someone, you love someone. And what would that have to do, you know, that they look at me as though I, I am an idiot. And, 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 you know, what are you talking about, Mr. Center? I mean, like, no, no, that, in my lifetime, that has changed. You fall in love with whoever you fall in love with, that's a wonderful thing. So, and I tell the kids, the hard part at this age is that you haven't seen a lot of change yet. But in my lifetime, there has been incredible change. In my father and mother's lifetime, even more dramatic. And I said, you know, we're talking about history that to my parents was their teenage years. Um, we're talking about history where for me, that was in my early developmental years and that took place. And so I think it's possible I think it's never as fast as we hope. That's the difficult one. And, and I, you know, um, that's the idea about love, yeah. right? Is that if you love someone, 
you're going to be patient about waiting for this. It's hard, I think, if you're on the group that's waiting for the change to happen. And so I always tell my students as well, it's pretty easy for me to say as a 51-year-old white male, you know, oh, well, change is going to happen. Yeah. Because things are not, there are not a lot of obstacles in my way to move through the world. You know, when you're as good looking as I am, um, doors open up left and right. Uh, but, but, but I do think it's happening. It is amazing to teach history and to see the change. Yeah. Um, you know, we're always standing on the shoulders of others. I think sometimes young, young people have to be reminded somebody opened that door up for you or somebody changed the way this building was laid out and that's why we have what we have now. Um, but we're not done building it yet. Yeah. So. That's great. Um, so, uh, so, so, so grateful that, that you're here, Gordon. I'm and grateful to be here. And it's clear from, from this conversation, uh, every, everything, as people listen to this, everything comes back to the relationship and the story and the importance of that. So we're grateful for you the, that, you're, that you're doing that here. Uh, well, thank you. I'm grateful to be here. I am grateful for a chance to have every day we have with these kids. It is, I, I think nobody was more excited to be back on campus than the teachers um, and be in person. Um, it was like sort of like an old fire horse standing by watching the wagon get pulled and, and you're not hitched up to it. And uh, um, it feels good to be back and hitched up to the wagon and, and know that we're going to, to get something done. Um, I, 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 I agree. I, I love the relationships with the kids. And, and, and the rewarding one is, like you, if you do this long enough, you see them grow up yep. and you see them become the people you hope they would become. Yep. Um, that is as rewarding and joyful for me as it gets. And I, and I, I would say, I, I think like you, you have those moments where you're unaware. It, it is rare that a student has come back to me 20 years later and said, I remember when we discussed this topic in class. You know, thank you so much for explaining the Electoral College to me. It, it, I've, I've never forgot that, and it made total sense. Shaped my life. Yeah. Um, what is fascinating is to have them say, we had this conversation about a topic, and I had never considered that, yep. and it has stayed with me my entire life. Um, and I know I've written those letters to my professors and teachers in, in life and said, and they think, and they write back and say, I don't even remember that day. Yep. Um, so it, we're lucky to be doing what we do. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.